Welcome to Rejected Religion Spotlight. I'm Stephanie Shea. My guest today is Richard Mason, who has kindly agreed to return to talk about Arthur Edward Waite's second tarot deck, among other things. A short little bio. Um, Richard hails from Cornwall in England. He studied modern history at St. Andrews and then Western esotericism at the University of Amsterdam. Richard's research interests led him to the publications of late Scottish historian James Webb, uh, with an eventual focus upon the enigmatic figure of Arthur Edward Waite. He participated as a panelist at the Essigen Symposium in 2020. That was an online event because it was during COVID. Uh, but after which, uh, Richard joined me uh, the first time uh, for an interview about Waite's secret tradition. And more recently, uh, he presented at the SWA 8 conference in Cork, Ireland, speaking on Waits' contribution and place within the rapidly developing field of Western esotericism. And he has also benefited from, from close correspondence with Waits' biographer, Bob Gilbert. So welcome back, Richard. Thank you very much, Stephanie, for this opportunity. It's a pleasure to be able to talk with you today about your research findings, uh, as I was unable to attend the SWA 8 conference this year. So I'm very eager to hear what you have to say about the second tarot deck in particular. But before we jump into all of that, uh, during our last discussion about Arthur Edward Waite, uh, we talked about Waite's notion of a secret tradition, as I just mentioned. For those who may have uh, not have watched that first interview, uh, could you talk a bit about what this was referring to? Okay. Uh, well, Waite's secret tradition, as it came to be known, was effectively the guiding principle to how he understood the subject matter of Western esotericism. He felt that there was a secret inner core within within the various esoteric branches, whether it's alchemy, astrology, uh, Freemasonry, Martinism, Rosicrucianism, much like uh, the uh, scholar René Guénon with a idea of perennialism with a concept of uh, uh, a kind of secret stream flowing within all the religions. Apart from unique to wait, really, was his... Was his uh, context of uh, Christianity. Uh, he very much did feel that this was the religion of the West. This was the uh, uh, the overarching branch to which all of the other things flow into, in his view. And secret tradition began effectively with an unpublished uh, manuscript called The Esoteric History of Freemasonry. that was unpublished, but it was written up in 1893, and I think it was completed by 1894. It was never published, and it's it's become the focal point of my thesis because I felt that this was the origins of his later branching off uh, into publications such as the, um, the uh, Secret Tradition in Alchemy, the Secret Tradition in Freemasonry, uh, his, his uh, foremost known text that he's associated with now. Uh, and it became the, the outlook and the prism by which he understood the, uh, uh, the field of Western esoterism. 
Thank you for that refresher. It's always good to have a bit of a background and a context, uh, especially when you're going into new material. Um, okay, so Wait was a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, among other groups. Uh, and you note that Wait abandoned the Golden Dawn and formed his own fraternal order called the Fellowship of the Rosy Cross in 1915, uh, one year after the start of the First World War. So could you talk about this context and what had happened in this period that brought about this change? Mm-hmm. Well, for that, you need to almost go back to the tail end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century. The, the Golden Dawn fell apart in, I think, 1900, largely as a result of the uh, uh, issues with autocratic leadership and uh, uh, Mathers, uh, SLM Mathers. Um, and there was also uh, discrediting um, of the founding documents of that particular order, the, uh, um, the manuscripts which proclaimed its existence, uh, and uh, that that became subject to uh, disillusionment and uh, doubt amongst the membership. But first of all, as well, uh, in particular relation to weight, there was also some rancor amongst the membership about what the Golden Dawn should be. Should it be a magical society, much like uh, uh, Yeats, uh, W.M. Yeats, and... um, the uh, Alistair Crowley, who, who felt that there was a need for a magical fraternity or a magical order within the Golden Dawn, that was its, uh, uh, you know, in, its stated purpose. And to drift away from that was was not liked by by those within within that particular group. Um, but then there were others, such as uh, Arthur Edward Waite, who felt that there was too much emphasis upon uh, elements of theosophy, elements of uh, practical magic. Um, and so eventually in 1915, he, after withdrawing from the Golden Dawn, decided upon creating his own fraternity, which was the, uh, as I said, the, um, uh, the fraternity of the Rosy Cross or the secret, the society of Rosicrucian, uh, which, which really stemmed from his background in, in Freemasonry. He had become a member of the, uh, uh, the Freemasons, I think in 1902. Uh, and became a master mason, I think, in the following year, 1902. Um, so his his uh, development in that sense stemmed from his his personal belief, effectively, within the concept of mysticism. He felt this was the way to go about it. And there is, you know, a lot of uh, uh, I think uh, uh, knotted issues with the concepts of magic and mysticism, whether they are two separate things which is certainly how Waite presented himself as being. Uh, Aaron O'Kima uh, is another scholar who said that this is a cordon sanitaire to distinguish himself from amongst the various other uh, individuals and groups active within esotericism at this time. So that's predominantly what led him to creating his own order, um, and w- which is eventually what he did. And it's the context to which his second tarot came about. Came about. I think it began in, in 1915. Uh, his his uh, fellowship the Rosie Cross, whereas uh, the the tarot cards really started I think in nineteen eighteen nineteen nineteen uh, with his associations with those who would contribute to it. If we could stay just a little bit longer with the uh, the the notions of magic and mysticism, 
what happened uh, to Wait, or was this just a natural progression of of his own uh, belief in, in more in this um, maybe Christian influence uh, that he felt was very important? Uh, but could you talk more about this shift from magic, quote unquote, magic to quote unquote mysticism? Yes, um, I mean, I think certainly for for Wait, and it's been said several times by Bob Gilbert in private conversations that um, for Waite, he always had this focus on mysticism. If you go back way to way back to uh, 1893, his uh, uh, title, Azoth, uh, is given the subtitle, or A New Light of Mysticism. So he, all the way back to 1893, this, this is um, during his time, I think, when he joined the Golden Dawn, he had this, uh, this focus on mysticism, which many of the other members may not have. Uh, he did have some fellows amongst the membership of the Golden Dawn that did subscribe to his view. He wasn't a, a you know a, a minority of one within the group. There were other names and figures that that did rally around his uh, his particular viewpoint. But I think it came to a head effectively uh, after after 1900 when the founding documents were discredited. There was issues with the leadership. And after that collapse, that effectively enabled Wait to carry on this trajectory um, through, as he sees it, the secret tradition, with a focus on specifically a kind of Christian mysticism, uh, which he's, which his order, the Fellowship of the Rosy Cross, sought to express and enunciate within their rituals, which did markedly contrast to the Golden Dawn. If you look at many of the Golden Dawn's rituals, there's a focus on um, uh, the banishing ritual. There's a focus on uh, use of pentagrams, use of uh, uh, ritualized objects within within a certain ceremony. And I think that uh, Wade, although he did participate in it, obviously, for quite some time, uh, I didn't think he, he uh, felt this was the need for or the uh, expression of what he wanted to do within this particular circle. There is an in- interesting point to make as well that given that he, he named his group the Fellowship of the Rosy Cross, there is a historic connection to uh, a German fraternity which the Golden Dawn claims to have some links to, which is what, named, uh, what I think gave him the uh, confidence to say that this is the uh, Fellowship of the Rosy Cross. He was being more explicit with its connotation. And for him, I think the, the Rosicrucians weren't practitioners of magic in, in the sense that uh, Alison Crowley and Mathers and, and many of the other leading lights of the Golden Dawn uh, presented themselves as being. He felt that there was uh, you know, an improper use of, of, of both history and object for uh, the, the Golden Dawn. And he said that you know, it, it, it ultimately ran its course and he needed to pick up the pieces to do something which is what he felt it should have always been. Um, and obviously as well, I think that there is something to be said about Waite's character as well. He, he didn't uh, attend university, unlike um, uh, uh, Alistair Crowley, he attended, I believe it was uh, uh, Cambridge. Um, he was largely um, self-taught. He didn't really have the educational background, which many of the other members did. And I think that his, his uh, coup, effectively, as it's seen, by Stuart Sudicum and other scholars, uh, effectively brought about this this change. So it was he was an instigator in in the dissolution of the Golden Dawn and uh, was 
was much responsible for the shift of uh, of uh, magic and mysticism within the Golden Dawn as such. If a person who was not a, a member of uh, of Wade's fraternity or any other uh, um, secret society, I guess we would call it just colloquially, and it, that, just a person of that time that would consider themselves a, a Christian, would they recognize what Waite was talking about with his Christian mysticism? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very uh, pertinent question. Um, I think that certainly amongst the occult milieu of, of, of the Golden Dawn, there were many members there that were self-professed Christians. They were often sometimes clergymen, sometimes figures of the church, uh, and they would have recognized some of the rituals that uh, Waite used within his Fellowship of the Rose Cross. And indeed, um, there would have been some elements of, of the Golden Dawn that many Masonic members would have recognized from from the uh, Societas Rosicruciana in Anglia. Um, but uh, in terms of lay members of the public, it was unusual. And I think that this is what colors esotericism as opposed to simply religion, mm. uh, which is an interesting concept itself. I mean, we've often talked about magic and mysticism. What are the dis- distinctions? What are the differences? Can any, any distinctions be made? Um, but uh, focusing on religion and esotericism as, as two aspects to to engage with you certainly see with weight that uh, he is uh, ostensibly a christian he identified as a mystic but as aaron okima stated i think that he did this in order to allow himself free range to to uh, create and develop the rituals that he felt he wanted to create uh, to take in a different direction from the old golden dawn um and that enabled him to you know effectively uh uh, not not uh, give himself a, a non-denominational status, if that makes sense. He, yeah. he wasn't a, he wasn't a strict Catholic uh, in the sense of seeing that they were, um, you know, utterly utterly uh, uh, that w- that was it. Ex cathedra statement from from the papacy. He he wasn't a, a fundamentalist in that sense, or a, or a you know um, a uh, a subscriber to that and that alone. He, he was someone that did delve into uh, alchemical treatises, uh, Rosicrucian texts, Martinist texts, which it bears remembering that the Catholic Church view was viewed as a, an aberration. And uh, there was uh, clearly some conflict in terms of his identity as being both, on the one hand, a Catholic mystic, and at the same time, uh, a member of the Masonic Order, a Rosicrucian, a member of the Secret Society, or the Fraternity of the Golden Dawn, and Fellowship of the Rosy Cross. So there's quite a confusing bundle that that uh, Waite's name comes with, uh, which needs to be unpacked, I think. And that's what you're doing. So this is a good thing. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so, but I am very curious now to uh, to move towards these the second tarot deck and to hear more about this. So I have a three uh, three part question. What is it sure. called? Uh, who were the people involved in creating the deck, and for what purpose was it created? Okay, well, it was it was just known as I think the the Trinic Pippet deck, and it, and the deck needs to be clarified in the sense that these weren't traditional playing cards. It wasn't simply a um, a rehash of what he did. I think in nineteen oh nine, nineteen ten, with Pamela Coleman Smith, 
uh, with with what's known as the the Rider Waite Smith deck or the mm-hmm. uh, um, H Rider uh, deck. It was it was something very very different. Um, it was largely a creation of four individuals. Obviously, Arthur Edward Waite himself that was uh, largely responsible for creating some of the blueprints of the artwork, which then John Brams Trinick, as a uh, uh, artist, created and developed. Now, John Brams Trinick was an Australian. He came over during the World War One or the Great War, as it was known as then, uh, from Australia to Britain in order to fight on the Western Front. And uh, during his time in 1917, he met with Waite, and uh, he agreed to create the artwork that the uh, uh, Trinick Pippet deck uh, comprises of. You also have Wilfred Pippet, who there's not much known about him. I did declare in my presentation that I couldn't be sure whether or not the image that I used to represent him was authentically him. Um, and uh, so he's he's fairly, uh, he's almost the kind of like the outsider of the group, I would say. Um, there's no confirmation that he was a Mason, uh, much like uh, uh, Wade certainly was a member of uh, Duncan as well and John Brams Trinix, but he, he was a contributor to the, the deck and was, was an artist as well with, with uh, Trinix in creating the images. Now, the, th- the fourth person that we've got to contend with now is, is Harold Malcolm Duncan, who was an American from Philadelphia that moved to London uh, due to his uh, business interests, and I think a uh, monotype uh, corporation, which was, I think, one of the first uh, stencil and uh, uh, text uh, organizations which created, I think, the um, standard type Times New Roman. Uh, he's he's credited with that, so it's quite a, a mark, mark, remarkable achievement. He was himself a Mason. He was involved in uh, weights circles from, I think, the 19, 1917, 1918, around that time uh, during World War One. And these individuals together comprised the uh, genesis of the uh, the second uh, second terror, um, both in terms of Wilfred Pippet and John Brams Trinick creating the images, but most importantly, you'd say Harold Malcolm Duncan that actually put up the money so that these um, these uh, pictures could be uh, assembled, put together. Uh, the artists were paid; uh, they could be then printed onto a. Uh, piece of fabric or material. As I said, these weren't standard uh, uh, playing cards. These were often quite large images used for ritual purposes within the Fellowship of the Rosy Cross. Um, Wilfred Pippet as well wasn't a member of the uh, Fellowship of the Rosy Cross. He had a tenuous connection. I have heard that he was uh, a member of the Solly Hill um, artist uh, family that were quite prominent at the time. That weight was around, but he's he's someone that I, I haven't been able to discern that much about. But as I say, Harold Malcolm Duncan put up the money and was often obviously quite a uh, a key figure in actually bringing these uh, these images and, and tarot cards to life. So I I'm assuming then that the, these cards were not mass produced as the first yeah. deck writes, <laughs> and yeah. and are, are these uh, you said that sometimes that. They were put on fabric or other materials. Are, are they? Are they? Uh, are they saved somewhere? Or is yeah, it- they they are currently, I believe, stored in the British Museum. Okay. Uh, 
are available for uh, public um, inspection um, observation. I think you might you may have to book to to, mm. to see, um, but they are presently stored at the British Library, um, and uh, I think the the uh, decision to put them there was by Arthur and Wait in his will for them to okay. be either the British Library or the British Museum. I think it's uh, it's 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 in there and so the the originals do exist but they were predominantly associated with uh, as i say uh, ritual um practice they were used within standards not simply just playing cards but they were printed on a fabric and held aloft like you you see in certain masonic rituals uh, they were put on tracing boards at some point uh, and they were used uh, for for the purposes of the fellowship of the rosy cross within their actual practice as opposed to, as you say, mass-produced on, on a, uh, a series of paper cards mm. and rice as a deck. They, they, they were uh, for a different purpose entirely. And that's why I think we, we largely haven't known about it, because, because it has been within this uh, rather rarefied uh, uh, circle of, uh, of uh, an esoteric group. Did the, did the images uh, correspond with... The traditional uh, major and minor arcana, were there as many images in the second deck, if we want to call it that, uh, as yeah. in the original form? Um, well, it's it's interesting because the the actual deck itself, uh, you can certainly see from the images that the deck comprises it, uh, the card to which it refers to, but it does markedly differ from from the standard card i think also on, on your point about how many there were i believe that there was um there were, I, I believe the the actual um deck only comprised i think maybe um nine trump cards and uh, if memory serves there, there wasn't there wasn't a complete deck out there there was only there was only the major arcana that was that was oh. captured in terms of the form of imagery in terms of uh, um, color, um, there were black and white images of the minor arcana, but I don't think all of the minor arcana are present in terms of the uh, the deck itself. Um, and again, this this must must reflect the purposes to which they were created. Maybe right. it was seen necessary for them to create the entire standard uh, number of cards mm. that should be card prized. Um, and there is there is some you know, questions as to you know, why this was the case. Um, as I've said, the the uh, the second tarot deck, I think, was was brought to people's attention by Marcus Katz and um, his book, uh, Abiding in the Sanctuary, I believe the name of the title of the book was. That came out, I think, in 2012, 2014. Um, but that was the first kind of um, public awareness that, that there was such a, a deck. Uh, existing um, and I say deck it obviously qualified um, and uh, largely as a result of this there's there's still questions to be answered as to you know what exactly uh, the purposes were for it why did it not include certain cards why did it include certain cards and I think that this is really where you see in terms of the previous question you asked me about the secret tradition you really see it full uh, um fully revealed at this point the, the last veil has been lifted and you can see what weight intended with 
these cards and the way that they are said out the way they are, uh, and it does reflect his his own Christian mysticism, which which was I think very very distinct from many of the other members of the Golden Dawn and what they had aspirations for within their practice. If we could talk a little bit about the themes or the influences uh, with regard to the, we'll just call it a deck for the purpose of this conversation. Um, Of course, the the cards were then specially created and they weren't just like a a copy uh, or a different version of, uh, say, you know, the major arcana as we understand them to be now. Uh, yeah. But could you, t- I don't know if there's a lot known about it, but if if whatever it is that you do know, could you talk more about these themes uh, that were involved uh, in the, in, uh, in the, rela- to, in relation to the cards themselves and why mm. the, those, those particular themes or influences were chosen for these, for these special cards? Sure. I mean, out of the cards that I use within my presentation, um, I have, uh, for instance, the uh, uh, the star card, you can see the Shekinah represented. Uh, you can see also words such as Malkuth, which derives from the Kabbalah. And you can see uh, that weight intended effectively a, a kind of a, very much an esoteric Christian or um, perspective within within the images that he crafted. You see, for instance, the, uh, uh, the four uh, beasts of the north. You've got an angel, a lion, a griffin. And a bull, and this derives from uh, from from the Bible, uh, and it's it's very much clear cut in terms of its its uh, origin and its usage. Um, and uh, the, uh, the the deck itself was, as I said, created for uh, the Fellowship of the Rosy Cross. And the context here is, I think, the development from the Golden Dawn onto Wait's own intentions for what he wanted to create for his rituals it, it was no longer uh, uh designed for the purposes of, uh, of of those interested in magic it wasn't uh, um making any reference to the buddhism which you saw within helena patrona Blavatsky's works uh there was no kind of uh, egyptian uh, iconography or um aesthetics within the images represented it was very much more uh dressing down of, of, of Christian mysticism, which reflected Waite's own personal beliefs. Um, and clearly the membership of the Fellowship of Rosie Cross uh, were interested in enough to not only put up the money, but devote their time to create these images uh, for usage within the Fellowship of the Rosie Cross. Um, some of the cards that I used, I mean, I did share with you my presentation that I gave in court. Mm-hmm. Uh, a classic one to use, I think, is, is the Devil card. Um, I, I gave my title of my presentation, uh, Physical Graffiti, which derives from a Led Zeppelin album. And I do think that the imagery that Waite uses to describe and show and present uh, the Devil card does very much, is and is reminiscent of the psychedelic era of the 1960s. You can, I think, see those kind of images being seen on um, you know, LP albums and, and uh, music art from that time. And uh, it's, it is very, very markedly different from many of the other tarot representations of the devil, uh, both before and indeed after his tarot came into being. So that, that gives you a concept of, uh, or context as to, you know, 
how it how it developed and how it is different and distinct from from many of the other forms that that tarot takes. Just so I'm clear as to which image that you're referring to, that's in the um, in the third slide that yes. you have, and it has the robed figure with it looks like a a crown with some yes. kind of emblem on the forehead, and then the two people standing at the foot of the. I guess it's like a. It looks like some type of. I don't know if it's a throne or an altar or. Um, yes, I've very much got the impression that I think it's 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 like an altar, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, made elaborate, decorated with candles. You have incense, I think, either dropping or wafting up from from the urns, um, and uh, it's it's you, know, you have the billowing smoke coming from the mm. candles. Uh, but yes, it is it is on slide. Three yeah. of my birthday. Okay, so I can include the image uh, alongside. Very beautiful, beautiful images uh, that were created. Uh, with regard to these images, in your opinion, can this Christian theme that we're more uh, fo- seeing focused on in this in this different deck, could we consider these images? "Quote unquote occult." <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this this is this is one of the uh, the ongoing kind of uh, para, para, um, paradoxes within within um, within weight studies because here's a man which which very much is interested in you know Martinism, Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, uh, the Golden Dawn, um, and uh, yet at the same time he does ostensibly present an image of a standard Christian uh, um, uh, belief and representations thereof. I, I think that the qualifier here, though, is is the fact that within Waite's own mysticism, his, his concept of the secret tradition, it, it incorporates many branches that would have otherwise been very well recognized within uh, members of the occult, the occult milieu of the 19th, 19th and early 20th century. Um, but does so in a way which uh, is, is strikingly unique to to himself and and many of the other uh, from from many of the other practitioners. Like you don't you don't have um, many of the uh, as I say Buddhist or Egyptian um, elements that were incorporated as part of the original deck that he created with Pamela Cole Smith. There is no Great Sphinx, for instance. There is no reference to. Uh, Tibet or the Himalayas or the uh, uh, um, various Buddhist uh, elements that you saw within within theosophy at that time, and that separation I think largely derived from 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 Waite's own interest in 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 the history. He was somewhat critical as a scholar. He didn't you know entirely go along with uh, many of the ideas and contributions that the likes of Blavatsky, that the likes of Mathers. Alistair Crowley had to say on 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 their subject, and he didn't follow it uh, uncritically. He was interested in the history of Rosicrucianism. He devoted quite a lot of time and attention to producing publications on figures such as Louis Claude de Saint Martin. Uh, he was interested in the in the actual history of those orders as they uh, established and were created in the 18th century. In the case of Rosicrucianism and Martinism. And I think that his interests largely lay in the concept of there being some form of survival, some form of continuity from that era, 
the 18th century into the late 19th and 20th century, which really animated weight. And of course, if you look at many of the uh, uh, artwork by uh, Martinus de Pascali, by uh, uh, Louis-Claude de Saint-Martin, you do see a, uh, a mystical Christianity. You often see it um, blended with some elements of Judaism, for instance, or some elements of, uh, uh, of, of maybe folk belief, paganism. But largely, the, the, the Christian element is, is very much there. And I think that that was the foreground of what Waite intended for his secret tradition and makes him somewhat strange within the assortment of characters that you often see. <laughs> Uh, 19th century occultism. I guess my last question would be, and I guess this now is coming to full circle again. Uh, do you, is there something that could be said about these changes in themes and how they affected, or maybe they didn't affect, and maybe the the idea was already there? But if the if the themes affected Wade's larger concept of the secret tradition as he saw it, was this a uh, like a perfecting of the of of the of the idea that he had, or mm. something else. No, I, I think you're quite right. Um, I mean, it, it does bear in mention that the history of Waite's involvement within the Golden Dawn it wasn't a clear cut thing. It didn't uh, fall apart in 1900, and then you know, soon enough, maybe that year or the year after, Waite created his Fellowship of the Rosy Cross. No, clearly not. The Fellowship of the Rosy Cross only emerged in 1915. Um, and indeed, many figures such as Aaron Okima have noted that previous scholars of Western esotericism and those interested in Charles Williams, say, often use the term Golden Dawn uncritically for Waite's, Waite's uh, Fellowship of the Rosy Cross. Like There was no seemingly distinction made by secondary sources, historians looking back on Charles Williams' life, trying to gauge the impact that, say, Waite had upon his thinking, his thoughts, his beliefs, and so forth, um, which would seem to suggest that there is there is uh, some continuity there. But no, I think that if you look at the history, um, Waite did create an independent and rectified order of the Golden Dawn in, I believe it was 1902, 1903, uh, shortly after he came back from visiting Switzerland. Um, from from attending a, a Masonic event in that part of the world. Um, so in 1903, he had this this uh, independent and rectified, which, as the name would suggest, is has totally shifted from its original focus. It's been rectified, so it's been corrected from many of the quote unquote mistakes that the original order may have included. Uh, it, they got rid of uh, assessments and written exams or. Uh, um, practical magic, and this was something which the likes of Yeats, for instance, didn't didn't like at all. He thought that this was uh, clearly a part of the Golden Dawn, which it needed to be. It must exist as a magical order. Uh, but wait with his independent and rectified right, threw it out. Um, but to answer your question, like 1915 was, is when the Fellowship of the Rosy Cross formed. And I think that that was largely as a result of him being unwilling or unable to um, satisfy the members with, within his own independent and rectified Order of the Golden Dawn uh, from using that explicit uh, name, like the Golden Dawn. That obviously had uh, extreme uh, uh, focus for for the membership who were interested in, in it. Uh, the Golden Dawn was the name of a uh, of an 18th century Frankfurt Lodge, which uh, 
uh, was constituted, I believe, in 1817 or thereabouts, um, as as a, uh, a, a Masonic lodge with with its own rituals. And the Golden Dawn therefore had a kind of a prestige to it, which Waite wanted to continue. Uh, he he did want to have have the name for himself after the likes of Mathers and Crowley had left or been kicked out or uh, <laughs> uh, otherwise uh, uh, been um, evicted. He he did want that for himself, but I think that in in 1915, when when obviously there was a world war, uh, there were people there that were interested in what he had to say and were willing to put up money to have these set of cards put together. Uh, he decided to drop the Golden Dawn altogether and create his Fellowship of the Rosy Cross with his uh, uh, Trinic Pippet deck uh, as as a, uh, a focal ritual practice for me- its members. Very interesting information that you've shared today. Thank you so much, Richard, for uh, for being here today and for talking about this, about your research, about this new deck. Um, beautiful images. Thank you for sharing that with me, so I can kind of get an idea of what what it is that you're you're talking about. Um, and this, yeah, like I said, this was all very new information for me. So I'm so happy that you, you know, that you agreed to come and share this with not only myself, but also with the viewers and the listeners out there. So thank you. Thank you very much, Stephanie. And I appreciate the opportunity to do so in the future. Wonderful. I hope the viewers will have uh, plenty of questions for you. Uh, if people would like to contact you privately and not just leave a question or a comment under this video, how can they reach you? They can reach me by my email, uh, rwgm at outlook.com. Um, if they have any questions, particularly about Arthur's weight itself, his publications, his involvement in the Golden Dawn, or any other questions that they, they, they might think of, uh, they can contact me there. Excellent. Well, Richard, I wish you continued success and Perhaps we'll be able to see each other sometime in the future again in person. <laughs> um, actually, I don't think we've ever seen each other in person now that I say this. No, we've only seen each other online. So, yeah, it would be nice to actually meet in person in the future. Maybe next year. Who knows? At the at the next uh, S-Way uh, conference. We'll, we'll have to see how, how it all turns out. Exactly. You will. Right. Well. So... Richard has gener- uh, generously uh, provided a list of references uh, that I will also include in the program notes for those who are interested to, to read more. So that's all we have uh, today. Be safe, everyone, and I will see you all again next time. Bye-bye.
Thank you.